Well, good morning. I want to begin today with a fun question, and that is, what's the perfect birthday for you? Like, often we have our birthdays planned by other people, but if it was up to you, what would you do? What would you not do? Who would you be with? Who would you not invite? What would you eat? Uh, What's a perfect birthday for you? Now, this is especially relevant for me because my birthday is this Friday, and so I've thought about this. And uh, for me, it's got two elements, at least. The first one is I could say no to all the things I don't want to do. I'm at a season in life where I can't always decide how I'm going to spend my day. Other people's decisions often impact how I'm going to spend my day. And so if I could say no to anything and everything I didn't want to do, that would be an essential element. The other essential element involves Facebook. And if I could on my birthday, I would eliminate all of those 100, 120 random happy birthday messages I get on my wall. Because what happens on Facebook is people you haven't talked to in 15 years see that it's your birthday, they didn't remember, Facebook told them, and they click on a button and it tells them, hey, these are your options for how to tell Scott happy birthday, and they write it on there, and all day long my phone goes off and goes off and goes off. And none of those people ever talk to me, except on my birthday. Um, and so I just would rather not get any of those messages for my birthday. You're like, Scott, that's kind of cranky. No, it's just, it's just, you know, like meaningless. Like if you want to tell me happy birthday, like tell me something special, some memory we had, give me something. You know, if you know me and you have my number, text me, don't tell me on Facebook. So like that's my little birthday rant and my birthday's Friday. So if you are my friend on Facebook... That's a next step from this message. We're only a minute in, but you already have an action item. That's my birthday. Now, we're coming up on the birthday of our nation in just about a month. And we celebrate our nation's birthday in some specific ways. We blow stuff up. That's an essential part of celebrating America. Um, we have hot dogs and hamburgers. We, we wear, you know, um, I would say cheesy, like, flag shirts and flag shorts Um, We get out red, white, and blue. Um, We have cake. Uh, We have, you know, just all these experiences. But this week, as I was preparing this message, I realized that we don't really ever celebrate the birthday of the church. You celebrate your birthday, the people around you's birthdays. We celebrate the birthday of our nation. But we rarely ever celebrate the birthday of the church. And today we have an opportunity because today is the birthday of the church. We call today Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost happens a number of weeks, about seven weeks after Easter. And Pentecost is the day that the church began. It's the day that the Holy Spirit fell. And so we're going to explore that today. And so, you know, I grew up in a church that didn't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. So I didn't really ever celebrate this day, but when I saw this was coming, I said, hey, let's start a conversation today, because our culture is already having a conversation about the church. And the question our our culture is asking is this, is the church a gift to the world? And there are some people in our culture who say, no, it's not a gift, it's a curse. Some would say that the church is a, a place where people get hurt or um, where people hold on to antiquated ideas, or, or where people abuse power. And so a few instances that get a lot of attention end up defining that narrative. And so today, as we talk about the birthday of the church, 
and the Holy Spirit. We're kicking off a summer series called The Fruit of the Spirit. Over 10 weeks, beginning today, we're going to walk through the nine fruit of the Spirit that are described in the book of Galatians. And we're going to look at, so what does it look like in our lives when we're filled with the Spirit and God is making us into the people that he created us to be? So if you're taking notes today, you got a little sheet when you walked in. You can fill in the blanks this morning. And the first set of blanks is our big idea. And the big idea for today is this, that we'll never produce the fruit of the Spirit without surrendering to the Holy Spirit. We'll never produce the fruit of the Spirit without surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're new to church, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, I, I want to explain to you this, this phrase, the Holy Spirit. As people who believe in the Bible, we believe that God exists in a unity of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I have a little diagram here to kind of explain it to you. So this, the, the, what we believe is, is the Trinity, that God exists as a Trinity, that God is the Father, that God is the Son, and that God is the Spirit. There is one God, but he exists in three persons. And, and within that, those three persons are, are separate and distinct. So the Father is not the Spirit, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Father is not the Son, but they are all God. This is the reason why God can be love from before creation. Because eternally, God has existed as an expression of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we can say God is love eternally, because that's how God has existed. And today, as we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, the birth of the church, the day that the church experienced the Holy Spirit in a profound way that launched the church, I'm going to teach you three things about the Holy Spirit this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 2, which is the passage that tells us what happened on the birthday of the church. So if you're new to the Bible, Acts is near the back of the Bible. It's after the book of John. It's before the book of Romans. When it was originally written by Luke as a book of history, it was called Acts of the Apostles. And like a lot of things over time, it got shortened. So now we just call it Acts. And Acts 2 is where we learn about what happened on the day that the church was birthed. So if you would, stand with me and follow along. If you have your Bible, if not, you can just watch the screen. Beginning in verse 1, this is what Luke writes. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, they being all the disciples. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, different languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. They were all in Jerusalem for this Hebrew festival called Pentecost. And when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one, each person, heard the disciples speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Jesus, we pray that today as we remember the birth of the church, we pray that we would experience your power 
in a real and profound way. We pray that you would birth in and through us fruit that reflects your heart and your character that our world so desperately needs. And we give you thanks today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. Now, I told you I was going to share with you three things this morning. And the first thing I'm going to teach up that the Holy Spirit is this, that the presence of the Holy Spirit birthed the church. The reason why we call Pentecost Sunday the day the church was born is not that it's the first day there was a collection of people who followed Jesus together in community. The reason that we say this is the day the church was born, because once the church had the Spirit in a continual, enduring way, everything changed. All throughout the Bible up until this point, people on an individual or seasonal level would experience the filling of the Spirit. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll read about someone who, who had the Spirit living within them, but that was not common. That was an aberration. That was an outlier. And that there was times where Jesus would breathe on his disciples the Holy Spirit, but the text seems to indicate that didn't last eternally, and it was only for the 12 apostles. And so there was 120 people who were gathered in a room in Jerusalem at the request of Jesus who told them to stay there until they received his spirit. And once they received his spirit, everything changed. See, the church is built on Jesus, but the church is empowered by the spirit. Jesus himself called himself the cornerstone, his apostle, Peter, Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, on this statement, I will build my church. On this truth, I will build my church. But it wasn't until Jesus returned to heaven and the Spirit came that Peter and all the rest were empowered to live out their lives following Jesus in a way that would launch the church. And it was on this day that after all of those people said, why are these Galileans, who are, are like most Americans, they didn't know tons of languages, how is it that they're all speaking in languages that we hear when we're not from here and we're far, from far away? And then Peter got up and explained what happened. He explained who Jesus was. He shared the gospel of Jesus' death and his resurrection on their behalf. And on the very first day, there was a church. That church was over 3,000 people. So if you think the church is supposed to be small, if you think it can only be small, it's been big from the beginning. Now, we all like our expressions of church. Sometimes we like it smaller. Sometimes we like it larger. But from the beginning, it's always been this significant move of God. And yet at the same time, what we see with the church is that those people had limits. They, they didn't have within themselves the ability to speak languages to communicate to others. They didn't have the ability and the training to be great orators. This was Peter's first sermon. Can you, can you imagine, without any training, just being pushed out and said, hey, you're going to speak to thousands of people, who, by the way, are a little bit cynical. They think you're drunk. Now you got to win them over. Most of us hate public speaking. We wouldn't want to speak to 10 or 100, much less 1,000. Peter had no training for this. He was a fisherman. He hadn't been to Toastmasters. He hadn't been to communication school. 
He had no idea how to speak publicly. But his first sermon, 3,000 people came to Christ. I've been preaching for 15 years. Never had that day. Probably never going to have that day. And yet that is the exact experience that we will all have as part of the church. Because to be human is to live within limits. To live within the limits of our own strength and our own abilities. Nothing has shown me my limits like being a parent. Next behind that being married. And next behind that being a pastor. And several years ago, I got connected to a pastor who really started encouraging me. We were initially communicating online. Then we had a phone call a couple years ago. His name was Darren Patrick. I say his name was because Darren lost his battle with his own mental health a couple years ago. But as I was preparing this message, I went back into something that Darren said uh, in a sermon. And here's what Darren said about limits and the spirit. He said, contrary to popular belief, the notion that God will not put on us more than we can handle is unbiblical. I'm just going to stop right there. There is not a verse in the Bible in all 66 books that says God will not give you more than you can handle. There is a verse in 1 Corinthians that says you will not be tempted more than you can handle, but temptation does not come from God. This is kind of modern American myth. It's right up there with God helps those who help themselves. That's Benjamin Franklin, not Jesus. So contrary to popular belief, the notion that God will not put on us more than we can handle is unbiblical. God always calls us to do more than we can handle. And he does this in order to bring us back to him as the source of our strength and power. He lays supernatural tasks on us because he wants us to rely on him for supernatural strength. Our resources and our limited capacity is why we desperately need God's spirit. So the reason why the the, the spirit birthed the church is from the very beginning, from day one, the church has been filled with people who have lack and who have limits. You are not up to, in your own power, all the things that God will call you to. You need His Spirit to be able to accomplish those because on a regular basis, God is going to usher you into a situation where there is more there than you can handle. And that situation will be an invitation to depend on Him and look to Him for your strength through His Spirit. You see, our, we cannot have a healthy church without the Holy Spirit. We can't have individually live the lives God's called us to live on our own, but we also can't have a healthy church. We can't be everything God's called us to be together without the Spirit. Now, the way this was originally written, the way I originally wrote this slide was, you can't have a church without the Holy Spirit. And then one of our team members, when we were walking through the message this week, said, Scott, I think lots of churches have church without the Holy Spirit. I said, that's totally true. And you can feel it. I've tried to live my life as a a parent, a husband, a friend, a pastor without the Holy Spirit. And you can feel it. And so here on Pentecost Sunday, I just wanted to remind you that as a church, as we seek to be a healthy church, we will not do so in the, the power and strength that we have. We will only be a healthy church if we live with the power of His Spirit. Because God is and will continue to call us to do things that we cannot accomplish without His Spirit. So number one, first truth 
the presence of the Holy Spirit birthed the church. The second truth, the Holy Spirit is a purpose-filled gift to the church. So on our birthday, the birthday of the church, God gave us a gift. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. And it's an incredible gift. If you were here a few weeks ago when we were walking through our series leading up to Easter about the seven I am statements of Jesus, you learned about what happened at the Lord's Supper, the, the night of communion, the final meal Jesus had his disciples. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. And in the middle of that conversation, while they were sharing the final meal they would have with Jesus, he taught them about his spirit. Here's a few things he said, beginning in John 14. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So this is an example of the Trinity here. You have Jesus asking the Father, and he says, I will give you, my disciples, another counselor, the Spirit. So this is the the, the Trinity all together in one verse. He says, he is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and he will be in you. Then in chapter 16, he says, But when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they don't believe in me. That's Jesus speaking. About righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. When the Spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and he will declare it to you. Now, in these verses and others, Jesus unpacks six things the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And if you're taking notes, I've laid those out for you with small letters. Letter A is the Holy Spirit exists to glorify Jesus. Now, in the church sometimes because we're kind of like a family or a community or a tribe or a team, sometimes we have insider lingo. And sometimes what happens is we use words and we don't really know what they mean, but we think everybody else knows what they mean. And so we feel weird asking, I don't know what this means. So you just kind of go along with the the flow. And the word glorify is one of those words. Here's what glorify means. Glorify is a verb and it means to draw attention to or lift up for the purpose of making easy to see. So if you've ever been at a sporting event, and it was like a very close event, a very close game, and someone puts on a miraculous performance, a player or a coach, and at the end of it, they all kind of go to the middle of the field, and they lift up one person on somebody's shoulders, they glorified that person. They drew attention to them, and they lifted them up for the purpose of making them easier to see. And that's what the Spirit does with Jesus. The Spirit lifts up Jesus so that other people will look at him and draw attention to him and see him for all that he really is. So in some ways, that's also our purpose. Our purpose is to lift up Jesus, to draw attention to Jesus, not ourselves, so that other people can make him easier to see. The problem is sometimes that as Christians in the church, we mess this up. We put attention on ourselves or all the attention goes and gets lifted up to things that aren't Jesus. But the purpose of the Spirit is to glorify Jesus. The second purpose of the Spirit is to show us the truth of Scripture. To show us the truth of Scripture. Now, I'm a big reader. 
I, I keep track of the books I read in a little note in my phone. I love reading some books I will read multiple times. I have five books that I read every year. They're my favorites. But, but I will tell you that when I read scripture, I have a different experience than I have whenever I read any other book. Because I'll be reading through scripture and I'll come to a verse that I know I have read at least eight or ten times. Because I never read that book in the Bible eight or ten times. And then it will be as if in the middle of the night, some weird person opened up my Bible. And in between these tiny little words, they inserted a new sentence. Has this happened to you before? You know that wasn't there the last time you read it. But now it magically is. That is the work of the Spirit. He shows us the truth of Scripture in a way we need in a moment. The third thing the Spirit does is that He convicts us of sin. The Spirit convicts us of sin. This is what Jesus said in John 16, that that He will speak to the world about sin. Now, a lot of us get words mixed up. And so I just want to kind of explain the difference. There's a difference between guilt and shame and conviction. See, people use guilt. Our enemy, Satan, uses condemnation, but God uses conviction. People use guilt. You'll get a call from somebody in your family. Hey, I don't know if you still have my number. You haven't called me in a while. You never visit. I know when you come to town, you see other people, but you never really see me. You got those phone calls before too? That's guilt. Our enemy, Satan, he uses condemnation. Hey, you you, you screwed up there. You're a screw up. Hey, you made a mistake there. You're a mistake. You know your dad struggled with this? Now you struggle with this. You're always going to struggle with this. That's the voice of our enemy condemning us and telling us we're not worthy of God's love. We're not worthy of his grace. That's condemnation. God uses conviction where he says, hey, that, that thing, that wasn't, that wasn't the right call. That thing, you messed up there. Hey, that's not who you are. And the reason why we get convicted is that the spirit lives within us. He's like our roommate. And whenever we get involved in sin, the spirit gets uncomfortable and he begins to let us know. He begins to convict us. Number four, the Spirit reminds us of who we are. The Spirit reminds us of who we are. We live in a world where we are bombarded every day with who the world thinks we should be and who the world thinks we are. And what the Spirit does is it reminds us who we are. The best picture of this is what happened to Jesus when he took on flesh and began to have his public ministry in Mark 1. It says, in those days, Mark came down, Jesus came down from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized in the Jordan by John. And as soon as he came out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. This is another Trinity moment. The Spirit's descending on him like a dove. Jesus is in the water, kind of dripping. And the voice from heaven, his Father says, you are my beloved Son, and with you, I'm well pleased. Jesus had not performed any miracles. He had not preached any messages. He'd not fed anyone. He'd not healed anyone. Had not walked on water. Had not been crucified. None of this. And yet he was his father's beloved son. 
and the Spirit is going to declare the same thing to you. You are a son of the King. You are a daughter of the King. In you, God is well-pleased. But Scott, I thought the Spirit convicted me. Yeah, he's not well-pleased with everything you're doing. But in who you are, who he made in his image and redeemed, in you he's well-pleased. Because you're his son and his daughter, and nothing can take that away. Number five, the Spirit empowers us to overcome sin. So that sin that we get convicted of, it isn't just, hey, that was bad, stop doing it. It's, hey, here's the power to go along with that to overcome that. And this is why it's so important that we watch our words. We tell our kids to do this. As our kids get older, we tell them to watch their words, which is typically don't say bad words. But, but it's not just the bad words we speak. It's the words we don't think about that we speak. So many of us say, I'm really struggling with this sin. Like if you're around men, you'll hear, I'm just struggling with pornography. Maybe if you're talking to a woman, she's struggling with pornography too. Or maybe she's struggling with her self-image or struggling with her identity compared to others. The problem is that we were not by the Spirit empowered to struggle with our sin because the power is there to overcome the sin. If God's Spirit lives within you, and it's the same Spirit that rolled the stone away and brought Christ back from the dead, we don't have a power problem. We don't have insufficient power to overcome our sin. What we have is that our will is in the way that we're still fighting against what we already have the power to do. So it's not struggling with your sin, it's surrendering your will to God and the Spirit so that the power that is within you can overcome your sin. And I just want to encourage you, you're not struggling with your sin. You're, you're struggling with your will. And if you would surrender your will to the Spirit, the power is there to overcome your sin. And then number, number six, finally, the Spirit gives spiritual gifts. I don't have time to cover these today, but if you wanted to go home and do some reading, you could read Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 to get a sense of the list of those gifts the Spirit gave. And we believe, the Scripture teaches, that every follower of Jesus has at least one gift. None of us kind of gets forgotten. If you were in a big family, maybe your parent, you know, forgot to get you a gift. My mom once, like, forgot that there was a gift hiding in the house on Christmas, you know. We discovered it a few days later. I made fun of her, and then I did the same thing as my wife a few years later. So I got, kind of got payback for that. But, but every Jesus follower has at least one gift. Now, historically... Since Pentecost, churches and believers have been torn and divided and disagree around gifts. And Cornerstone's part of this tribe called the EFCA. The EFCA stands for the Evangelical Free Church of America. And as a tribe of churches, we seek to embody this phrase, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty in all things Jesus Christ. One of our church values is that we value practicing and fighting for unity in a divided world. So when it comes to the Spirit, we have people in our church who believe that all of the gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 that are expressed in the New Testament are still active. Speaking in tongues, miracles. We have some people in our church who believe that those were only for the age of Scripture with the early church, and then those ceased as a way to validate the church, but then those tapered away. 
we don't have a position on whether those gifts are still present as a church because we welcome people into the church from both of those camps. But we don't allow this, those, those sign gifts to be used in worship because in this context with where we're taking this position of not taking a position, it'd be divisive. So if you've ever wondered, there's your little kind of theology point for the day. Where I've been wanting to get to all day to set up our series on the fruit of the Spirit is number three. Dependence on the Holy Spirit produces unique fruit. So the reason why we're talking about the Spirit so much is that we will only produce the fruit the Spirit has for us if we depend on the Spirit. We will not produce the Spirit in our own power by depending on ourselves. And again, if you were here a few weeks ago during our series on the I Am Statements of Jesus, we talked about this passage. I want to go back to it quickly because I think it establishes the context for today. John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this. Remember the purpose of the spirit. That you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. The world will know that we are actually who we say we are that we actually are followers of Jesus. Not, not by what we say we believe, but by the fruit that we produce. That's how our world will know that we are followers of Jesus, by the fruit that we produce. Now, one of the problems we have in the world today, when it comes to followers of Jesus, is a lot of us are producing fruit that looks nothing like Jesus. Maybe you've encountered a follower of Jesus and you're like, I know in your bio on social media, it says Christian and there's a little cross emoji. But you want to, you want to reply with the cringe emoji. I have to tell you, some of the biggest trolls that I encounter on social media, if I click on their bio, it's almost guaranteed to say Christian. And you're like, man, Scott, we just need to get better we just need to get better kind of PR out there about the church. That's not the kind of PR that we need. And friends, I will tell you, the church doesn't need better PR. The church needs different fruit. If you're in business, you know this. If you have a bad product and good marketing, your company's going to fail. Because no amount of good marketing can cover for a bad product. If you go to somebody's Airbnb and they have great pictures and you show up and there's roaches, it doesn't matter how good the pictures were. You're leaving a bad review and eventually those reviews are going to stack up and people are going to stop going to that Airbnb. When I was a kid, uh, there was a, a series of um, Sprite commercials that came out. Everybody was kind of marketing Sprite, which for me was so weird because it was just what you drank when you got the flu. You know, I'm like, why would anyone want to drink Sprite like on a normal day? To me, it just reminded me of, of vomiting. I was like, why would I want to pay for that? Right? Like, I just, you know, give me every, any other kind of soda, but why Sprite? But the, the Sprite ad, the tagline, was images everything. And friends, in this topic, we don't have an image problem. We have a substance problem. We live in a world that's all about image. But eventually, you get close enough to somebody to not see the image they're projecting to, to the world, you see the substance of who they are. You'll have somebody that looks good from a distance, 
But you get up close to them and you're like, can I go back to the distance, you know? And as followers of Jesus, we want to be people who are better and better the close we get. We want to be people who are more and more genuine, where there's not a gap between image and substance. The world has a word for that. Hypocrisy. We want to look at this list and go, man, my life is manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things, because why would there be a law against this stuff? This is the good stuff. This is the good substance. And when the Spirit is at work in someone's life, the Spirit produces this fruit as we are dependent on the Spirit. But if you're familiar with Galatians 5 at all, you know that right before the fruit of the Spirit is another list. It's called the work of the flesh. And in the work of the flesh list, here's what Paul says. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. All too often, this is the kind of fruit that the world experiences when it gets close to people who claim to follow Jesus. And it's not because those people are bad people inherently. The problem is that they're producing what their, their flesh and their own strength naturally produces. See, in serving that vision of wanting to have the right kind of substance, of wanting to be a good person, we often choose the wrong path to that vision. And so here's the big idea for this series. You're going to hear this almost every week. The fruit of the Spirit are not objectives we achieve, but outcomes we experience. That list of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, those are not objectives we achieve. Some of you are goal setters. I'm a goal setter too. I set eight goals for myself this year. I've got them on my computer. I've got them on my phone. I've got them in my office. Those are my objectives I'm going after. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are not objectives. They're not goals. Because if they are your objective, what's going to happen is you're going to try to go after them the way you do the rest of your goals, in your own power and strength. And if you make these fruits objectives, To achieve, what you will find is you're not going to get those. You're going to get the list that's the work of the flesh. And you're like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I be more loving? Why can't I be more joyful? Because they're not objectives. They're outcomes. You say, Scott, what do you mean? Well, I have just a, a hunch that you've walked by a tree before. Anybody here walked past the tree before? Everybody should be raising their hands right now. Have you ever walked past a tree and heard, No, right? Because branches don't will the fruit out like someone who's trying to power lift in the gym. I stopped going to the gym after COVID, and I now work out at home, and it's so nice. I'm not listening to, to grown men grunt when they're picking up a really light weight, I said, dude, you're not working that hard. That's totally for show. (laughs) But many of us follow Jesus with that kind of grunting. We're trying to mm, the love out. 
and mm, the patience out. But that's not how fruit comes. Fruit comes naturally. See, the vines naturally flow with life that manifests into fruit. And so what we're going to see in this series is that the fruit of the Spirit are the outcomes we experience when we're consciously and continually dependent on the Spirit. And they don't have to be willed out because they're not coming out by our power. They're coming out by His. Now, if you say, Scott, how do I do that? That's next week. You've got to come back for that. There's only so much I can cover in one Sunday, and we got ten. So I, I encourage you, we're going to talk about each of these over the next nine weeks. Next week is love, and you can kind of look ahead to the one you think you need. I would encourage you, don't skip the one that's hard for you, because it's not about your power. It's about his power. So, a couple next steps before we close today. Number one, I want to invite you to commit to following Jesus by being a part of the church. Say, Scott, why start here? Because there's a large conversation happening today because of all the ways and places the church has got it wrong. The way that church has hurt people. The way that people have been abused in the church and by the church. Do I need the church? And I will tell you, from nature, fruit grows in community. A tree is unhealthy if there is just one apple on it and it's an apple tree. A grapevine is unhealthy if there's just one little grape on the whole entire vine. No, when something is thriving and abundant, there's an abundance and a multiplicity of fruit there. Yes, the church is a place where you can get hurt. But the church is the community that will help you to produce the fruit. And so I want to encourage you, if you have not found a church home, to make one. I want to see you produce abundant fruit. And you will not do that on your own. So if it is not Cornerstone, we'd love to help you find that other church home. But plant yourself somewhere. Number two, identify which purpose of the Spirit you've been resisting and surrender in that area. If you took notes, there's six things there. Which of those six have you been resisting? And not will yourself out of it, but surrender to the Spirit there. Remember the big idea, the presence of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit that comes through our lives as we surrender. We surrender to the Spirit. And then finally, number three, focus on obedience to the Spirit's work and trust Jesus with the outcome of that work. If we're honest, the reason most of us default to depending on ourselves is we like to be in control. And I will tell you, with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with God, in every significant relationship in your life, there is a universal truth. You can have trust or you can have control, but you can't have both. true with your kids, it's true with your spouse, it's true with your friends, and it's true with God. Are you going to trust or are you going to remain in control? You can only pick one. And the fruit
fruit of the Spirit will come in our lives to the degree that we choose one or the other. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that almost 2,000 years ago, with some people who feel, felt as unqualified as we feel, with some people who felt as overwhelmed and confused as we feel, you sent your spirit and you birthed your church. And we thank you for their story in Acts that we might know that through your spirit, you take people who feel overwhelmed and underqualified and you do beautiful, amazing things through them. We thank you for the birthday present that the Holy Spirit is for us. And we pray that we would surrender and cooperate with the Spirit in a world where so many people know uh, the church for all the wrong reasons, for a bunch of rotting fruit, we pray that through your spirit, you might birth beautiful, life-giving fruit through us. Not by our power, because we know what our power gets. Not by our strength, because we feel weak. But by the power of the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So today we give you honor and praise that for 2,000 years you've been advancing your church and a bunch of broken people and their sins still haven't held it back or blown it up. We pray the same thing would be true in our era, that the church would have many more birthdays and that our church would have many more stories of what your spirit does in and through us. In your name we pray, amen.